recorded by some other church somewhere, let me know because I'd recommend it. Um, but Adam's going to come and bring the word, and I'd encourage you to listen carefully as he preaches to us today. Thank you very much. It's exciting to be here. Uh, we traveled up yesterday from Virginia, so our family were home in the States for about three months. We arrived August 1st, and we'll be leaving November 5th back to the Czech Republic, where our hearts have traveled there as well. Um, but today I'm here to uh, share about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and the living hope that should energize us each day. Uh, we're going to be in the book of First Peter, uh, and we'll start in verse 1, and I want to just read that here first. So First Peter chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll go down to verse 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance undefiled and unfading. Kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than the gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the saving grace that you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ. And I thank you that you have begotten us again unto a living hope through his resurrection from the dead. Lord, I pray that the words that I speak today would not be my own, but they would be your Holy Spirit's working through me, empty out myself and make me a vessel for your good glory. We thank you for this time and we ask you to bless it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I'm going to grab this stool over here if that's all right. Along our journeys, I have messed up my knee, and it's a little bit more comfortable to sit down. So as we look at 1 Peter, it's important to kind of get the context of who Peter is talking to. Um, the book was written in between 61 and 63 AD. Most scholars agree with that. Um, and it was right at the beginning of Nero's persecution of Christians. Uh, Rome had a huge fire go through it, and it was most likely Nero's fault, but he couldn't take the blame himself, so he decided to persecute the Christians and blame them instead. Um, and as a result of some of this, Peter was there in prison in Rome at the time. 
Uh, he was writing to a group of Jewish and Gentile Christians who had been exiled from the Holy Land, and they were now living in what is now modern-day northern Turkey. Um, I can kind of identify with them because, you know, we now live in a foreign land. We're not suffering persecution there, praise the Lord, uh, but it is difficult to find yourself in a foreign country. Um, even if you speak the language, when you go to another place, everything is different. It's not bad, but it's different, and you have to learn how to do things a different way. And this group of people found themselves stripped of everything that they know to be dear, and now they are suffering persecution. Um, and, and Peter starts off with a classic greeting. Um, he identifies them, and then he greets them in the name of God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. And uh, in this identification, he gives us some clues. Firstly, he talks about uh, greeting them in the name of God the Father, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And it shows us here that God is intimately acquainted with these believers. Foreknowledge in the sense that he foreknew them for salvation, but he also foreknew their situation and their sufferings. He understands, God the Father understands, that they are in that foreign place and they are suffering. And he cares about that. He is intimately acquainted with what we need, and he cares about us individually. And then in the sanctification of the Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit's work is active on a daily basis, sanctifying us. As I was studying through this, I, I heard someone, I read someone put it this way, the Holy Spirit pulls us out of the profane and sets us apart for holiness. And I love that picture because I don't know everyone's individual stories, uh, but when I was a teenager, it wasn't that I was a bad kid. I was a moral kid. I grew up in a moral family, but I was not good. And, you know, when I came to know Christ as my Savior, I had to wrestle with that sin that I had in my heart deal with it, and then, like, like he said, the Holy Spirit just pulled me out of that profanity that I lived in, in my own heart and set me apart for holiness. And this, this setting apart for, for God's work is both positional, in that we are set apart, but it's also active. It enables us to live holy lives through the inner working of the Holy Spirit every single day. And we need to tap into that power. And then Peter greets them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. The knowledge of God the Father and the you know, should lead us to obedience to Christ. Firstly, in salvation, where we come to the point that we recognize that we are sinners and we ask Christ to forgive us our sins, but then also to obedience. I think many times we miss that part, that we are called to something greater than just being called out of our sins, but to be obedient to Christ and being conformed to his image. Um, and then Peter kind of does a, a, a subtle little reference to Exodus chapter 24, and I'm going to skip over there. You guys can join me if you'd like to, but in Exodus chapter 24, we find the nation of Israel gathered at the base of Mount Sinai, and Moses has just read the law, and the people have committed to uh, following the law. 
And if you pick up in uh, Exodus chapter 24, verse 3, it says, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the feet of the mountain, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood and threw it against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it onto the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made is with you in accordance with all of these words. Now, <clears throat> first Peter doesn't go as graphic as Moses did by throwing the throwing blood, but the point of this passage and the, the symbolism of sprinkling with his blood is a commitment to that obedience. You know, we uh, Peter is calling the, the, the Jewish believers, as well as those Gentile believers, to remember the commitment in the covenant that was made at Mount Sinai and to uh, make a similar covenant of obedience with the Lord. And that, the cleansing of Christ's blood and the sprinkling of that blood, that is what drives us forward in obedience with the faith call of salvation. And then Peter says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Um, when we were preparing to go to the mission field, uh, there were some very difficult times. And I was meditating on grace. And I, I was thinking about the uh, nation of Israel. When they were preparing to go into the promised land, they were, um, they were being punished partly and wandering in the wilderness. But even in that punishment, God provided manna on a daily basis. And manna could not be used uh, more than just the day that it was provided for. You couldn't take yesterday's manna into tomorrow. It would mold and mildew. And you couldn't take more than what was provided. It was what you needed for the day. And grace is like the church equivalent of manna because God supplies exactly the grace that we need, the unmerited kindness, the unmerited favor that we need each and every single day. We can't pull on yesterday's. We can't save it for tomorrow. But we can tap into the grace that he's given us today. And Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And then he moves forward into a doxology, a, a beautiful song of praise to God. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us again to be, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a hope that is alive and it should just overwhelm us. Our hope is not static, but it is dynamic and it is centered on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We do not serve a dead prophet as most other religions cling to, but Jesus Christ, the one 
the, the true Lamb of God. He paid the price for our sins at Calvary. And what with the distinction of Christianity is that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead to break the power of sin and death. And it's God's great mercy, his kindness towards us that has given us this hope. And it is intimate and it is personal. God wants to have an individual relationship with us through his son, Jesus Christ. And then it talks about our future reward. Uh, Verse 4 jumps in and says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Our hope leads to a reward. Jesus says in in, uh, John, I believe it's John 15, that he is leaving, he departed to go and prepare a place for us. And that place is, uh, our, our salvation is being held. It is imperishable. That means it is free from death and decay. It is undefiled. It is free from sin. And it is unfading. It is free from the destruction that is brought about by time. It is perfect and is preserved. And then it talks about this present protection in verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God himself is guarding us, spiritually protecting us, to, um, which leads to our response of faith. Ultimately, our final salvation will be revealed when Christ returns and delivers us, and when Christ returns to the world and delivers us from sin. You will find in, in uh, the book of First Peter and in other places in Scripture, there, salvation is referred to in multiple different aspects. We've, we've seen the salvation that comes through our, our accepting of our sin and our asking for forgiveness by Christ, from Christ. That is our positional salvation. We are saved. But then we talks about the working out of our faith, the progressive sanctification of salvation. That's the work of the Holy Spirit throughout our lives as Christians. And I like to tell it to my children this way. Progressive sanctification is a wonderful theological term, but practically speaking, I tell my children, we need to be looking a little bit more like Jesus each and every day. And that is the process of progressive sanctification, being conformed to the image of uh, Jesus Christ. And then the ultimate salvation, and talks about the second coming of Christ, when we will finally be freed from this body of death and sin and decay, and we will receive our new bodies and we will live forever with God in heaven. Uh, So we see this progression here of, of salvation. Um, and uh, where, he's reveal, where he's referring to being revealed in the last time, that is that ultimate salvation that, that comes at the end of our lifetime when we are welcomed into the fellowship of heaven. But in the meantime, Peter uh, transitions and he talks about the trials that are going to be coming. He starts with that doxology of praise and then reminds us that we still live in a sinful and fallen world. Um, And God recognizes that there are going to be those tough times. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, 
you have been grieved by various trials. You know, our attitude when we go into trials is, in, is incredibly important. It says here, um, in this you rejoice. We rejoice in the hope that we have in Christ. Go to, um, if we look at uh, the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and the steadfastness, um, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we start with that attitude of joy. Um, count it all joy. Rejoice. The source of that joy is the person of Jesus Christ. Um, I, I like to remind myself often that joy is not dependent upon my circumstances. Happiness is dependent upon our circumstances. Happiness is a response to good things that happens in our lives. But joy is a tapping into the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and moving us through difficult circumstances. And that's why it says we can have joy in every circumstance. And I'm not making light of the trials that we go through. Um, there's a dear, sweet family that supports us um, that don't live too far from here. They found out that their daughter has a, um, a malignant tumor in her brainstem that cannot be operated on. And we do not know what the Lord is going to do, but if they were to listen to the doctor solely, um, she would probably be home in heaven before her graduation from high school. So I know that there are very deep trials that we face. But that's where the resurrection, the hope that we have in Christ comes in because we can tap into that joy that we have in Christ to drive us through those trials. And it's amazing to watch God work through the process, them through that process as they are struggling through that. You know, the trial that I have in front of me at the moment is my knees. I fell two years ago and my right knee just got fixed. And then somewhere along the line that we've been here in the United States, um, my left knee has been giving me a tremendous amount of pain. And you know, it is hard some days to have joy. You ask yourself, why, Lord? I'm out. I'm doing what you want me to do. Why put these obstacles in my life? But then I look through and I say, you know, okay, I am doing this. I don't know why this is happening, but I knew, do know that I can get up each and every day and I can move through it. I can, I can tap into the joy that I have in Christ because I know ultimately one day, I'm going to be freed from this body of death, and I am going to be able to move, uh, move beyond these trials and these sufferings. And he also, uh, God also wants us to remember that our trials do have a beginning, but they also have an end. Uh, it says here, though now for a little while, you know, there is a beginning and an end to these trials. It may end when he takes us home to heaven, but there is an end, and there is an eternity of joy happiness, and sweet fellowship that we have in front of us. And he also remember, reminds us that we're not all going to suffer in the same way at the same time. He says, uh, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You know, not all of us will suffer in the same way at the same time, but 
he gives us community in the body of believers to walk through together with these trials. You know, we're not made to suffer alone. We're not made to sit and be isolated from other people. God gave us the body of believers, the church, to come together and to share our burdens. Uh, Romans, uh, I have it bookmarked here. Romans 12, uh, verses uh, 15 and 16 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. We are made for community. We can't take away other people's burdens, but we can come alongside others and we can lift their burdens, help them carry those things, even if it's just listening and understanding and saying, I will pray for you and I'm going to be here. That community is essential for us to live in hope. Verse 7 goes on and gives us the purpose of our trials. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, the, our faith test is, is testing and purifying us so that we can look more like Christ at the end. God desires us to be refined and sanctified. Again, this goes back to looking a little bit more like Jesus day by day. Um, if you go to Romans 8, 28 um, and 29, it gives us a little bit of this glimpse as well. Uh, 28 is probably what all of us know. Likewise, the Spirit... Uh, sorry, I'm really yeah, here we go. Uh, Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. But verse 29 is what's often left off, and it's the purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The greatest good that can come out of any situation that we have in our lives is that we come out looking more like Christ as a result. And so that is the purpose of our trials. Uh, and then he talks a little bit about gold refining. This is probably something a little bit more for the younger generation, but I enjoy watching YouTube, and there are a bunch of guys out there that work on refining gold and so I, I, I did a little research, and just watching the process that ore goes through, like gold ore, you know, it's crushed, it's ground, and then it's, uh, other things are added in, and it's heated up, and it becomes molten, and all of the gold settles down at the bottom, and then they break it off, and they refine it several times using fire in the process each and every time. Every time it goes through the furnace, it becomes a little bit more pure and a little bit more pure. And it goes from something that's like orange and almost rusty brown to something that is brilliant and has almost a mirror finish to it. And that's the process that God wants us to go through with our trials. He is taking the rusty brown of sin out of our life slowly over time and creating that mirror finish of gold that we can reflect the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Um, and this purification will be for God's glory at the final revelation of Christ. 
we will be revealed as Christ's brides, spotless and blameless before God. In Ephesians, when, uh, uh, when it's talking about husbands and wives, I think it's Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about uh, husbands loving your wives as Christ loves the church. And he is actively protecting her and presenting her as spotless and blameless before God the Father at the wedding feast of the Lamb. And that is what, that's the image here. This refining process is the process of purifying us so that we can be ready for the ultimate consummation in heaven. And then verses 8 and 9, they talk about the rewards of our faith. Um, Though you have not, though you do not now, sorry. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. You know, none of us have seen Christ in the flesh. We have God's word that describes him to us. Uh, I love the way Jesus himself says it in uh, the book of John. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 9. It's, uh, he has appeared in the upper room to the disciples, and Thomas has doubted. And Thomas wants to see Jesus. He wants to see the wounds in his hands and feel his side. And Jesus says to him, after he believes, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Uh, it, the book of John opens in John 1.12. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, so we have not seen Christ, but our hope and our joy comes through the living and active word of God and allows us to have tap into that faith that God gives us to believe. And trusting in the word of God and in the things that we can, cannot see brings joy that cannot be explained. You know, the joy that wells up within us when we understand what God has done is not something that you can really describe to others. And when we have these deep, intense trials, um, cultural adjustments is a very, it's a different sort of trial where you, you go through this very deep, dark place of trying to understand where you fit into a culture that you never grew up in. But it, it teaches you that joy and sorrow can be commingled together in our memories, happiness and difficulty. And this is, uh, this is what we're talking about. It's not that we lighten the, uh, the, the trials or the, the understanding of what's going on, but that there is a joy that wells up within us even when we're going through those difficult things because of our relationship with Christ. And then uh, verse 9 gives us that the ultimate outcome or reward of our faith is the salvation of our souls. This faith enabled by our loving Father allows us to believe the gospel and ultimately be delivered from all pain and death in, in the ultimate salvation, our heavenly home with God for all eternity. I don't know about you, but I am waiting for that time 
where I can be delivered from all the pains and aches of age, all the sorrows of sin, all the um, political bickering of our lands, and we can live in perfect harmony and peace with God. And that is the ultimate hope that we have. Because of our faith in Christ, we know that we are going to another place. You know, our family, and I know we have others that are here, when you live in a culture outside of your own, you realize that you are a stranger in a foreign land. Um, and you no, longer, um, you no longer fit in in the culture that you came from because your new culture has uh, changed you in many ways. But you will never quite be, you know, we'll never be Czech. But now we're, there's a part of us that will never quite be American anymore either. We call it living in the in-between. Uh, but that is where we live as Christians. You know, we are citizens of heaven. And the more that we get to know, the closer we get to the image of Christ, the harder it should be to live in our culture here. We should be tasting and waiting for our time that we can be in heaven. So my challenge to you this morning, firstly, is to embrace being that stranger in a foreign land. You know, as I just said, the closer we draw to Christ, and we should feel increasingly uncomfortable in this world. We need to embrace the understanding and ensure that we maintain fellowship with other uh, citizens of heaven. You know, it is important that we gather together as the church each week because these are our fellow citizens now, you know, and we need to bring more into that understanding. You know, evangelism, discipleship, all of that happens through the church. And that is why it is so important for us to be gathering together. Um, but we also need to be good ambassadors of our Heavenly Father and tell the world of his goodness and grace. You know, an ambassador, if he does his job well, does not represent himself. He represents the one who sent him. And we are ambassadors of Christ. We need to represent not our own agendas or our own beliefs, but we need to represent God and his agenda and his beliefs through the word of God. And then I would encourage us to prepare for battle. Uh, the world hates Christ and is at war with all that he represents. Identifying with Christ invites you into a spiritual battle. Lean into that fact and prepare for battle. As Peter says it so well in chapters in 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 14 and 16. If you flip over to uh, chapter 3, I'll start reading verse 14. Um well, I'll start reading in verse 13. Now who is who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts... Um, sorry. 3, 14, 16. Yes. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may also be put to shame. Sorry, I got lost there for a little bit. Um, 
But if we, if we suffer for Christ's sake, that is a good thing. But then we need to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks of us why we believe or the reason for the hope that is within you. And then I think the most important part that we need to remember here, it's easy to have a response ready for when people ask us. And many times we are ready to go fisticuffs, uh, I think, um, with the sword of the word. But it says, yet do it in gentleness, with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. It is so easy to take out the sword and wield it. It is very difficult to do that with gentleness. You know, we need people who come into contact with believers in Christ. Yes, we have the truth, but we need to give it in love with that gentleness and respect so that they don't come away from our interactions with us beaten and bruised, but called to faith. Uh, So be gentle in our warfare uh, as necessary. And then finally, I encourage us all to live in hope. God has us not asked us to be blindly happy. And there are people that go through life that just want to be happy, happy, happy all day long. He has not called us to that blind happiness. He recognizes that life is full of tragedy and immensely difficult situations that we will all face. Yet he promises hope for each and every situation. His desire is our goodness, and his greatest good is conformity to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. If we lean into the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ, we can tap into the daily provision of grace that freely pours out from the throne to sustain us until we meet God in glory. And that is my encouragement to you. Tap into the hope that we have in Christ every day. Keep your eyes fixed on the horizon. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. There is a delivery point from all of our trials. There is hope. And if you do not know that hope today, I pray that you would come and talk to me, talk to Pastor Tim, someone. Today is the day of salvation. God is working in and through his people here. And I really encourage you to uh, examine your soul. If you do not have that hope, there is a way. His name is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the hope that you give us in your son, Jesus Christ. We do not serve an empty prophet that's dead in the grave, but we serve a living And Father, you desire all of us to be able to tap into that hope every single day. I pray that if there are any that do not know your son as their savior, that they would reconcile their sin with him today that they would recognize that that they are sinners and that Christ is the only way to heaven. Father, I pray for those of us that do have the hope of Jesus Christ living within us, that we would share that hope with others, that we would go forth from this day to face all the different trials that we face with joy, choosing an attitude of joy in each and every day so that we can one day Live in eternity with you in perfect fellowship, free from this body of sin and death. Thank you for this in Christ's name.